Welcome to the Check Your Head Podcast, the podcast where notable musicians come on the show, share their mental health stories, their experiences, and most importantly, their solutions to some of the tough challenges in life. My name is Mari Fong, and I'm your host. I am also a music journalist and life coach for musicians. And today I am super excited because I'm a big fan of our guest today, uh, Fred Armisen, who is a comedian and also a drummer uh, and musician. A lot of people don't realize that he was in a punk band called Trenchmouth for about eight years. Fred Armisen, I started watching him on Saturday Night Live and then... uh, watched every episode of Portlandia. And, you know, Fred Armisen is so busy. He just pops up everywhere. He's the band leader and drummer for Late Night with Seth Meyers. He lends his voice in the animated um, uh, sitcom Big Mouth. He also is in HBO's uh, Loss of Spookies. And, um, you know, you see him frequently just dropping by on Saturday Night Live and getting involved in the different skits. Uh, I also have psychotherapist Karen Clark, who's going to continue to talk about uh, dialectical behavior therapy, or DBT, which is a therapy that uh, Lady Gaga spoke about uh, during her 2020 interview with Oprah Winfrey. But first, I wanted to share some exciting news. Uh, I've been working hard to get uh, a 501c3 uh, nonprofit status for the podcast and um, have partnered with uh, DBSA San Gabriel Valley, which is uh, the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance of San Gabriel Valley here in Los Angeles. And now uh, all of your donations and subscriptions on Patreon are tax deductible. So I'm super excited about that. You can donate on our website, which is checkyourheadpodcast.com. Every dollar really is appreciated and every listener is appreciated. So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, It helps me um, pay my podcast team and also pay for gear. Like for instance, I'm really saving up to get this um, two microphone podcast bundle by Samsung, which is about $250. And I'd like to use that for the upcoming 320 Music Festival. And the 320 Music Festival is all about music and mental health awareness. Uh, Started by Kevin Lyman, uh, who produced the Vans Warped Tour, and also with Talinda Bennington, who was the wife of Chester Bennington of Lincoln Park. But let's get to our interview uh, with Fred Armisen as he begins talking about music and also about his uh, years in the punk band Trenchmouth. With music... It's mm-hmm. like all, all the stuff, like there's like laughing and there's also like what music means to us. It's like such a huge, it's, it's such a huge part of our lives. I mean, our lives, meaning me and you, you know, like. Right. Clearly. Because I remember when I met you, you had a Clash shirt on. So I know that. I'm yeah. guessing that you've got like. Yeah. I'm a big Clash and Devo fan too. Yeah. Because yeah. I read that. Yeah. And that you started out in Trenchmouth, which was a punk band. Yeah. I lived for punk rock. My whole life is all about punk rock. Which I think is really interesting because yeah. to me, when I when I talk with you and I met you, you even when you, when you do your comedy, there's there's something kind of quiet about you, sort of um, a little bit introverted. 
And I find a lot of musicians and creative people are like that. They kind of go deep with their emotions yeah. and they choose different industries like comedy or music to kind of express themselves. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's even easier to do that versus having like a one on one conversation. Yeah, I would agree. That's yeah. definitely the case. I even see, find punk rock to be introverted. Yeah. Yeah, I think like the stripped down um, sort of lineup of, of bands, you know, it's usually pretty, you know, bass, guitar, and drums, some keyboards, seems to be only four or five members. And even though it might sound like they're screaming, sometimes I feel like a lot of times it's very pretty melodies. Mm-hmm. And there is something even in some of the dress style of punk rock that's kind of something about it reads as introverted to me as opposed to some of the glitzier looks of 70s rock and um even glam rock and and hair metal and stuff like that okay yeah so speaking about punk rock yeah um you know what i find really fascinating i think that is true i find that even like uh really hard metal rock um, you know, death metal, goth, all of that, you find people that are really sweet and sensitive on the inside. And I'm wondering, maybe that's their way to just to get out all that Definitely. angst. Definitely. And there's also, even though something appears dark, you know, like let's say death metal, there's actually something very light about it. Like I think there's something about it, even the way we celebrate Halloween and everything, mm-hmm. actually does seem very like playful and goofy mm-hmm. so in an odd way something like death metal is actually very sort of positive and, and fun it is yeah because uh, when you get out there and people are just sort of thrashing around or um there's something about that energy that makes you happy because totally. it's, it's an expression yeah and you're in a in a um you know, in a venue or a place where you can express that, where maybe on a day-to-day basis, you you can't. You're not allowed to for whatever reason. Sure, and that's scarier um, when it's, like, something that's, like, where, where you're in a sort of work environment where you're not allowed to... Not, I can't even say not allowed to, but in a, a kind of environment where it's difficult to express yourself. But uh, something about death metal, even sometimes you look at the album covers, you sort of... For some reason, the first thing I do is laugh, and it's not in a mean way. I just laugh, and yeah, I know it makes me happy. Mm-hmm. So um, it's great music. I think death metal is pretty great. What's your favorite death metal band? Mayhem, probably. Mayhem, yeah. okay. Well, you know, I I mentioned uh, Portlandia. Yeah. I've watched um, Lost of Spookies, documentary now. Yeah. But I also... Um, Watch on Seth Meyers, yeah, uh, as the like the band mm-hmm. leader, yeah, um, with the drumming. Yeah, I'm doing it next week. I'm going back to do it next week. I go in every maybe every other month or so, and I, I go do it for like a week. Yeah, I love it. Now you started out in music, mm-hmm. and then you went into comedy. Was that a planned thing, or was that more no. like an opportunity? That nothing is is planned. It's just like everything. Even though I'm an ambitious person and I, I had my dreams, the way that I, I sort of expected it to go is is not like this. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I thought, okay, I'm just going to do music. I'm going to be like David Byrne or Mark Mothersbaugh or somebody. Mm-hmm. And the more I sort of kept doing music, the more I was sort of getting nowhere. And then it's when I started doing comedy that it started opening up for me. So all of this stuff was like, it's just, uh, ve- which is one of the reasons I try not to plan ahead too much. Mm-hmm. I just try not to plan ahead because all of a sudden life is kind of like, uh, no, actually this is what you should be doing. So you're kind of going by your intuition yeah. and oh, what feels yeah. right to you. Yeah, and short term. Very like what seems right for this month. Okay. Kind of, kind of spontaneous then. Only because trying to plan things out years in advance never seems to be exactly the, the way things go. Well, you know, one thing that we've talked about on this podcast is kind of being in the now. Mm-hmm. And I know that's like one of those things that, you know, people talk about being the now. Yeah. But um, it really does allow us to focus on maybe what what we feel is right, like listening to our, um, like even how our body feels when um, you're approached with an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like I went to, you know, it's funny as I kind of uh, put that out to the universe because I'm a big fan of yours. Mm-hmm. And I said, Fred Armisen is a musician and I'm sure he's got a great story. And then when I found out that you were on Dynasty at Dynasty Typewriter, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was basically moving my car because I didn't want to get a ticket and mm-hmm. saw you across the street. Yeah. But um, uh, I'm glad you said yes to the podcast and sure. that it, it felt right to you. Yeah. So The class shirt helped. Oh, the class shirt. Thank God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works. Yeah. Okay. Um, Isn't that weird? It's like almost like a weird, uh, it's almost like sending like a, a a symbol or something or sending like some sort of like a secret passcode. Oh. You know? Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes musicians say that like their music is almost like a secret passcode to finding out like what that other musician is about. Yeah. Almost like a different language. Yeah. Do you find that to Definitely. be the same with you? Definitely. Um, music is, I mean, it's almost like knowing if you're going to get along, get along with somebody, it, it's like you could feel if someone's had similar ex- shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something like a band like Devo is a perfect example of that. And like you could tell that they're going to have a similar sense of humor or a similar outlook on things. Not that everyone has to have the same viewpoint, but I will say even someone being a music fan is sometimes a big deciding factor because some I've met people who are not music fans mm-hmm. who music doesn't make a difference to them so that's that's another interesting you know I think that's a little strange oh, I've, I've, <laughs> because... I've experienced it a lot really oh my god like yeah. no music at all or, or just or just, just whatever's around oh okay you know oh I like whatever same thing with humor there's some people who like kind of don't have a sense of humor um and there's nothing wrong with either. Right, But I'm right. just saying it does sort of in, help me, like, sort of navigate how uh, how are we going to get along. I see. Okay. Yeah. I did this, uh, this tour of Australia. I think age is a certain thing, too. Like, I did this tour of Australia. Yeah. And the way to tour, it's so far away that you, mm-hmm. I couldn't bring a crew with me. I, I had to hire someone there. And I hired for a tour manager, a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. 
the guy happened to be my age and a music fan. Okay. So right away we got along. Mm-hmm. It's one of those weird things where we if just mention a couple bands, who's could do and whoever. Mm-hmm. And there's this ease of like, okay, great. Th- this is going to work out. I'm not saying it's a prerequisite for me to like somebody. Right. But it's a, it's a way that I know that these next couple of weeks are going to be easy. Yeah, sort of like you're on the same page. Yeah. Or, you know, if you like similar kind of music, there there is sort of an understanding uh, of at least, you know, likes and dislikes. Yeah. And kind of what moves you. Yeah. And aesthetics and... I think humor t- plays a big part of it. You know, I found a lot of um, musicians have a really good sense of humor. Mm-hmm. And that it's kind of, you know, you doing both. I think a lot of musicians may not have the, the, the comfort to be able to, to go out and express themselves in comedy like you do. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of them do. It depends. I mean... I think when MTV first came out, mm-hmm. you could sort of start seeing the way some musicians were kind of playful. Definitely in uh, a lot of early Beatles stuff, too. Like, you see that, you know, their, mm-hmm. their sense of humor shining through. But you're right, yeah, it takes... You've got to, also, we, you never know. Some musicians might not be confident enough about their sense of humor that they want to put it out there. So I guess it's, it's different for every band. But there were some, there were some funny people out there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even sometimes going on stage can be uh, really intimidating mm-hmm. for great musicians. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, some of them stop touring because oh, yeah. of it, like uh, Meg White. Mm-hmm. Her anxiety um, was, you know, really an issue on Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, quite a few. So There's one more. Which would... I wonder if we're thinking of the same person. All right, you tell me who it is. Okay. I wonder if you're thinking. <laughs> so are you thinking of someone? Because I'm thinking of someone. Well, I've had quite a few musicians tell me that, you know, oftentimes they throw up before they go up on stage because they're so nervous. Oh, maybe we're not thinking of the same person. I'm thinking of Andy Partridge from XTC. Oh. So I love XTC. I love XTC, XTC too. And they're, so, you know, somewhere along the way they got, uh, or Andy had stage fright. Yeah. And... That's it. So I've never had a, the opportunity to see XTC, and I, I'm sad about it. They're right. one of the greats. Yeah, and, their music um, is amazing. But uh, obviously his mental health is more important, and I respect that. Right. So. Adam Ant also, he, oh, he talked about know. his depression. Wow. And um, you know who I saw just uh, last year was New Order. And, oh, yeah. And I saw them at Coachella, too, and that yeah. got me super excited. Oh, good. But um, you mentioned a lot of, like, 80s new wave bands. Yeah. Um, That's what I grew up on. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Loved it. Mm-hmm. But um, going from music to comedy and doing both does take a lot of bravery, you know, having putting yourself out there. I mean, what kind of advice would you give to a musician that— you know, may have that stage fright or the anxiety that really, you know, might prevent them to having their creativity go out in the world? Um, That's a pretty easy answer in that I would say just start small. Mm -hmm. So it's if you're a musician and you're like, should I do comedy? Just think of it exactly opposite if there was a comedian who wanted to make music. And just think of like, if someone's scared to do it, 
Sure, but if it's in a teeny venue mm-hmm. with eight people, that's easy. And just go from there. Mm-hmm. Because once you, it's, it's a really, I feel like it's a pretty, um, there's another attitude also to add to that too. It's like, which is don't worry about it. Like if it's not great, then it's not great. And you just do another one and you do another one and, and it just keeps going. Mm-hmm. So I started off with very small goals, just like, I remember there was um, some sort of variety show. I'm talking like just at a club. Yeah. That my friends were doing. And I was like, oh, I want to be in that. I'll do some sort of weird comedy thing. And because yeah. it's small, I, the pressure, there wasn't as much pressure. It was just like a, being a part of something. Right. So I, I would say that's like the, the, a way in. The other thing is like, I also have this, uh, this is a separate thing. I have this sure. other opinion that like, if something's terrible, so what? You know, what if it's bad? Then it's bad. Who cares? You know, you just it's just an evening. It passes, and then there's the next day, and then just have a bad show. Yeah. Do something dumb. Do something bad. And I've done so many terrible shows. I've done so many shows where I didn't know what I was doing, where it wasn't funny, where I wasn't reading the room. And so what? It's just like audiences, you know, they're just people, too. They just... They go on with their night, and it's not the end of the world. Like, you let everybody down. The audience goes, oh, well, I'll just have a drink anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. So kind of taking things in stride and not taking things too seriously. Uh, And starting small and practicing. I would say that, yeah. Starting small and practicing. Yeah, I would say start small. I think one fun way in also is just to, like, whatever venue or thing you're going into Uh it's nice if those are your friends as opposed to you know something so alien that you're going to really feel scared sometimes if it's something that a bunch of your friends are doing that's also fun because you get to be backstage with them and stuff Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah just that there's there's nothing so special about the one night it's Mm -hmm. just like when you when I look back that's almost like, I'm like, oh, what was I stressing out about? Yeah. That was just one of 50 shows in that period of however many years. And then there was a good one, and then there was a weird one, and then there was one where the technical stuff didn't work. Right. It just, it just it's almost like eating meals. It's like some, some are great, and if you're, it doesn't matter in the end. You're like, you remember the good ones, and mm-hmm. the bad ones are kind of fun to remember. Was there ever a bad one that really kind of got to you and made you like really sad or just really um questioning whether or not you should continue no okay I just don't care (laughs) okay you know like I (laughs) I think that's a good attitude it's just that like I spent so much time playing in in a band getting nowhere that like any comedy show I ever did was always already easier that I didn't have all this equipment with me and then it's not, I love it when it goes great, but when it doesn't mm-hmm. go great, I just, there's something um, that I, I just, there's something in me that just does not care. Well, I, th- I think that sometimes we put too much um, focus on ourselves when we do things and um, thinking that everybody has the same focus that we do. Exactly. But they don't because no. they're focusing on themselves too. Absolutely. And oftentimes when, um, there's a mess up. I, I say, well, you know what? It might be dinner conversation for somebody, but after that, you know. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. 
it's the, yeah the self-importance of like but my night and my show and these people were looking at me people they really are thinking it, it's nice to be entertained but they are thinking about i i want to go home eventually mm-hmm. the end of this night i'm going to go home so they're all already thinking like what am i going to get a ride um you know am i still hungry do <laughs> Did we eat already? No, we ate, but I might want a second meal. That's the evening. And then someone says something funny on stage and great. And that's it. It's not, you know, you're not like, you're not their evening of like, you know, even if you're a headliner on a show, you're just part of entertainment for the night. Okay. So I'm agreeing with you. All right. All right. So, you know, you've done touring. You've Mm -hmm. done so many different projects. Um, I'm trying to get to something where... You know, especially, like, career relationships or people that you work with. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you how do you kind of resolve that if you if you feel that, you know, things aren't working um, with people that you that you work with? That's also doesn't matter that much, because if if you're not getting along with someone, sometimes the work is fine anyway. So you're it is just a, a job. So it doesn't matter that much, you know, you both got hired to do something, you're on some show, and it's it's over in a half an hour anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's almost like it's not that important that you, everyone has to get along, and it's got to be... I mean, I've been very fortunate in that the situations I've been in, everyone's been lovely. But when that does happen, if you're not getting along with someone... Or I've been on sets where it's tense. yeah. So what? It's just a workplace. Every hospital rooms, I'm sure, are tense. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's garages where people working on cars where it's t- it's just life is tense sometimes. That's okay. So you just kind of have things roll off your back and just not be concerned with them much. It's just a, an, it's a never-ending goal if it's only going to be, I need everyone to get along. Mm-hmm. It's just you'll never, it'll, you'll, it's just too much. It's like too much pressure to put on a work day. Yeah. How about in Trenchmouth? I mean, it was four four members of the band. Yeah. yeah. And um, trying to to have that. I mean, it's hard enough to have a one on one. You know, it's, um, it's relation. Very intense. Very it's intense. Really intense. It's very. Being in a band is like. You know, you have to share everything. You're in constant conversation. Mm-hmm. I love them very much you know they're like my brothers I grew up with I formed you know my uh, opinions of music through them and it's it's like the best learning experience but being in a a band is you're just like you're trying to find a time to eat and you someone wants to eat healthy someone doesn't everything takes really long Mm -hmm. the bathroom situation is just really unmanageable the fact that you've got to share a room and it's like someone's got to use the bathroom, someone doesn't. It, it's very like, that's hard. The fact that someone knows when you're going to the bathroom is like, that's like, I, that's like so private. I'm like, I don't want, I want to just be on my own and go to the other side of town just so I'm like, so it's very not private. On the other hand, you're in your 20s, so it's like, you know, you're having a nice time anyway, but it's in, it's intense being in a band. So that was part one of Fred Armisen's interview. Stay tuned for part two of Fred's interview in an upcoming episode. 
Now we're going to uh, speak with psychotherapist Karen Clark, who you met in a previous episode, uh, which was Gilby Clark's episode. Uh, And she will be speaking more on DBT, which stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. Uh, Lady Gaga did uh, mention radical acceptance and the whole idea, you you say emotional intelligence, and she described um, wisdom as a combination of, of facts plus emotion. We need to, to p- really pay attention to our emotions because our body and our minds are telling us something is wrong. And we, we could feel, I mean, we do have intuition where we could feel whether or not something is right and wrong. So the combination of facts and emotion, um, she equates to wisdom, which to me, when you said emotional intelligence was kind of like also the combination of those two things. And the beauty in that interview with, uh, between Oprah and Lady Gaga is what she's speaking of, what Lady Gaga is speaking of. about. She's talking about one of the first things we teach in DBT and the mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is what we refer to as wise mind. Ah. And wise mind is the place where both reason, she refers to it as rational mind, right. and emotion are present. Both are present. Mm-hmm. Because as you're just saying, emotions give us an indication that something's wrong. Mm-hmm. Right? Just like if, we, if we're reaching towards something that's hot and we feel heat, we're like, oh, pull mm-hmm. the hand away. Mm-hmm. Our emotions give us that kind of visceral data. Mm-hmm. And then our reasonable mind helps us to then make informed and you know, more effective and decent choices that will serve us in the moments we're in. Mm-hmm. That DBT, as we say, is dialectical behavior therapy. So a dialectic, this is kind of important, is, is learning that through everywhere in our lives there are we're encountering things where two things mm-hmm. that seem to be opposite mm-hmm. are both true. Okay. And then how we kind of bring those together and navigate through that. How do we find a middle way? What would an example be? Because I'm trying to think of how, I mean, that does happen quite a bit. All the time. What's something that you like, I guess, an example that you've seen in your clients where two things are completely different and we have to make sense of that? So a, a, a kind of intense example mm-hmm. uh, is like someone who has been physically or sexually abused, like say by a parent or someone else in their family that helped raise them. Yeah. They can both love that person mm-hmm. and hate that person. Mm, okay. They can both love that person and be intensely angry at that person. I see. Okay. They could have a troubled history with them and now have a great relationship with them. Uh-huh. Two things. Okay. Seeming opposites, mm-hmm. both of which are actually true. Okay. And if we don't find a way to the middle of that, it's just really confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we get to the middle? And what, what is it? Is there something? Learning more and more about that. Learning to start to begin to recognize all those dialectics in our life. Mm-hmm. Learning to accept they're there. Uh, learning to regulate our emotions more effectively so that we can, you know, and handle our distress mm-hmm. when we're confronted by them. Yeah. So that we can more ultimately be, have better, have stronger, we kind of talk about it as muscle mm-hmm. to be able to um, really, what we talk about in DBT is build our lives worth living. Build our lives worth living. Worth living. Okay. Right? So, because if you see there, you see uh, suicide as a solution Mm-hmm. probably you're not living a life that feels worth living. And we all absolutely need to experience a life, even with pain in it, 
mm-hmm. as worth living. Well, that's the part that we can we could talk about this because when you're in really bad pain, when you're in a panic attack and you feel like you're dying, or you're feeling that you're in the depths of depression and it's like you yes. can't, you just want the pain to end. It's hard to feel appreciative. It's hard to feel gratitude. And, but I know that those are things that, that are important to get to the next level up and to start improving your life. Right. And, and it does take practice, as you were indicating earlier yeah. in our interview. It's learning the skills, just learning the skills of DBT, but not applying them. That's not going to serve you. It really is a therapy of, I call it a therapy of practice, mm-hmm. not a therapy of epiphany. The focus is really learning how to practice applying the skills from all the modules, which also include ultimately interpersonal effectiveness mm-hmm. as the fourth, which, which includes how to be more effective in all of our relations, including with ourselves. Okay. Uh, and that takes some time and practice. It is often like, it's like going to the gym and learning how to build your biceps. Yeah. It's like learning a brand new language. Okay. It takes practice. We are working to accept ourselves and other people right where we all are. Mm-hmm. And we know we can all always do uh, better. We had um, Sir Bob Cornelius Rifo. He's from the Bloody Beetroots. Uh, he talked a lot about evolving. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got to a point where I just, just the thought of always trying to improve myself makes you want to do better, right? And be open to new ideas and new, you know, ways of doing things. Uh, so just having that open mind too, to, to have that hope that things will get better, you know, trying this therapy. And the thing is, there's so many different solutions that can work for different people. It's really being persistent and finding what feels good to you and what works for you. Right. So DBT is integrated into my life. Mm-hmm. And when and my favorite module always has been because for me it was the biggest change when I was learning deep, first learning DBT and in my intensive and applying it to myself as well as learning how to teach other people about it. Yeah, I was going through a divorce. Ah, and so the interpersonal effectiveness module. Oh my gosh, was it was mind blowing. And now, yeah. mind you, I've been a therapist already for quite a while. I'm a decently skillful person, right? But the way that Marshall Linehan created and integrated and interwove uh-huh. what, I, what we often refer to as the three legs of the interpersonal effectiveness stool was revolutionary. Okay. And those three really are, what is my relationship mm-hmm. to what it is I want to get out of my interaction with you right this minute? For everything from when I'm in the grocery store checking out mm-hmm. to an intense conversation I'm going to have with my teenager later in the day. Right? Yeah. What is my relation? What is my relationship to what is it I want to get out of that mm-hmm. or have happen? Yeah. What is my relationship with that other person? How do I be skillful in taking care of that? Even while I'm having maybe a difficult conversation because I have this goal in the conversation to set a limit with my teenager. Mm-hmm. How do I simultaneously keep an eye on that goal? Take care of that relationship because it's important to me. And also keep an eye on the third leg, which is my self-respect. Okay. So that I'm behaving in ways during that interaction that I will feel okay about later mm-hmm. and not feel guilty or ashamed or like, oh my God, I totally lost it with her when mm-hmm. she defied me. Mm-hmm. Oh, now I feel awful. I feel like such a terrible mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the most effective interaction is one where we know what's our primary one. Like, is it that we want to say no to something or ask mm-hmm. for something? Do we want to just have a sweet relationship, a sweet moment with a beloved, mm-hmm. 
Or are we, do I really need to stand up for myself, which is self-respect? We want to know right. which one's primary, mm-hmm. and we want to use them all. Mm-hmm. Because that's what's going to work the best. Mm. In all of those levels, for both, what, for both what it is we want to get accomplished. Yeah. And also to care for those people we love. Or anyone we're interacting with in mm-hmm. a humane, compassionate manner. Right. We're talking a little bit about gratitude and appreciation. Like I said, sometimes when we're not in a good place, it's hard to think of things to be grateful for, but it's really important, even the simple, simple things. And I, myself, I I know friends that have a gratitude jar and, you know, every time, maybe it's on a daily basis, writing down something they're just grateful for. And it could be something as simple as, you know what, I had like my favorite ice cream today and I felt so good about that because it was a nice you know, ending to my day or, you know, just appreciating, you know, a really important relationship that you've had for a long time and, and expressing that to the other person that always feels good too. Right. And the other person I'm sure feels great to, to hear that appreciation. Absolutely. Gratitude is a really important practice among others. And it's a mindfulness practice Mm -hmm. because you're being mindful to that, that in particular, like as you're doing, say, if you, We'll, we'll sometimes assign our, our, our clients a gratitude list or a gratitude journal mm-hmm. so that they have actually a list so that when they forget, when they're having a hard time and they can't in that moment even begin to think of anything they're grateful for. Mm-hmm. Like if you're really upset about something and I say, oh, just, just be grateful for what you have, that could feel invalidating. However, later when you were calmed down a little bit, you might go, you know what? I'm going to go look at my gratitude journal so I can remind myself maybe, maybe having being grateful for something might be helpful right this minute. Uh-huh. It wasn't maybe helpful right in that moment to be reminded that I ought to be grateful when I'm just mad. Yeah. But it could be helpful later. So having those resources to get to, um, we we encourage our clients, one of the skills in emotion regulation is, is, is what we refer to as accumulating positives or pleasant events. Mm-hmm. So looking for things in our lives that we enjoy doing and making sure we do them. Mm-hmm. And certainly keeping, keeping a gratitude journal, having a gratitude list. It can be a really important practice in that mm-hmm. respect because it's something that's pleasant, something that we enjoy, uh, spending time with a loved one, petting one of our animals can mm-hmm. both be a mindful experience as well as a pleasant event. Mm-hmm. All kinds of ways that we integrate skills that we learn in DBT and there are multiple skills at the same time. People talk about triggers, which we associate with negative emotions, but there could also be triggers for happiness and we can borrow emotions from the past or scenarios in our mind that make us feel better or make us feel more relieved uh, or maybe takes us away from a stressful time in our life. You know, it's almost like a mental vacation. Mm. You're right. I mean, our body responds to what we're thinking. Mm. So if we think about that great vacation in Belize and all the fun that we had or just, you know, relaxing on the beach, it can give us physical and mental relief absolutely yes yeah in fact uh, the Viver vacation is mini vacation and that can even be like letting yourself stay in bed an extra hour right Mm -hmm. or it can be remembering your vacation in belize or it can be planning a vacation that's coming up Mm -hmm. absolutely and i believe 100 percent and I, cause I know I did too. Mm-hmm. Everyone can benefit from learning the skills of DBT and some people really, really, really benefit enormously. You know, as, as Lady Gaga in her interview really will talk about. You mm-hmm. know. And that's such a good interview. She was not only really honest and vulnerable, but I think she 
she laid out those skills and things that she's done in a in a way that really can relate to a lot of different people. The last thing I wanted to talk about, though, is radical acceptance. How would you describe radical acceptance? The real fact about radical acceptance or, is that we can only change something that we have first accepted as so. Mm-hmm. And important to know that radical acceptance does not equate with approval. Mm-hmm. It doesn't equate with uh, acceptance that I, you know is never going to change. Mm-hmm. Um, it simply means in this moment, I'm accepting that this is what the situation, and it's not about the future. Mm-hmm. The only thing you ever have to accept, radically accept in the future might be, I don't know, like I give an example with my clients, like that I may have to accept at the ripe old age of 60 that I'm never going to be an astronaut in the future. And that we will probably all have to pay taxes. Right. <laughs> <That> <laughs> one day our maker's going to come, but right. right, they say death and taxes, but Anyways, right, but what we're radically accepting is the moment as it is. Uh-huh. Uh, and the only way that we can actually change anything that we may choose to change is if we accept that it, that it is what it is. Uh-huh. I can't change the relationship, say, with a friend that I'm having a conflict with mm-hmm. until I've accepted that there's something off and there's a conflict there. If I just go on pretending like there's no conflict, but there is... Uh, it's not going to be effective and I'm not going to be able to maybe apologize for something I may have said or done or bring, you know, go and speak to them about what I thought they said and get some clarity. I have to first accept I'm having some kind of experience there in order to make a change. Sometimes it's really hard to do. I think that is probably the hardest part Mm -hmm. because what it does is it, we have to look at ourselves and radical acceptance is also like taking responsibility, right? Like, you know what? I said that, you know, what's my part in this, you know, relationship? What, what did I do to, you know, it takes two to tango. And then when we look at ourselves and say, okay, I did that. Then it's taking the responsibility to, to do something different, to change. And that is work that some people don't want to do, but I guess it's, it's so important for us to, to be better, right? If you really want to be better. And oftentimes the work, like you're saying, can feel really good because it's, it's, it's also saying that, you know what? I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I want to do better. And I don't want to keep making, especially the same mistake over and over and closing my eyes to it. I think it's time now to say, you know what? Maybe I've got to change this part, you know, and I can do better. That's right. And and with radical acceptance, we have other skills that help us get there, like learning how to practice being willing. Mm -hmm. We call also turning towards radical acceptance because sometimes the things that are really hard for us to radically accept, it's work. Mm -hmm. If we were in the Zen moment about it, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, it takes time and all that stumbling that happens in between makes us feel uncomfortable, but we should not look at it as failure. That's progress (laughs) because we No one becomes an expert on their first try and nobody expects that from people. And I think that's when we, when we talk about our mistakes or, you know, when things don't work out and when we finally get there, that's what people relate to, you know, and people respect you really for trying, you know, instead of just saying it's too much effort or I'm afraid 
to make the stumbles. The truth is, as well, one of the most effective ways to change the relationships that we want to keep in our lives, even mm-hmm. even if they're hard sometimes and, and when they are hard sometimes, because lifelong relationships, whether those be children or partners or parents or whatever, are going to be hard sometimes, Yeah, uh, really relates to that willingness to t- turn towards that acceptance. That when we do make changes in how we are interacting with the people we care about, or just in general, then that begins to change them. Even uh, because because what I do and say to you right. impacts you. Yeah. And then what you say and do impacts me. Mm-hmm. In DBT, we call that the transactional nature of reality. Mm-hmm. The simple truth that we all affect each other all the time. So if yeah. I make changes uh-huh. and I'm behaving differently, right. that will impact you and you will start to be a little different. Yeah, that's the part that's in relationship with me. Right, right. And I think that's important to point out because our words, our behavior, our energy, which is pretty much our intent, does affect people, does affect our words, make a difference. Our behaviors make a difference to other people. And whether we see it or not, they react to them. But also importantly, like the words that we say also affect I mean, it's it's a belief that it's going to affect us, too. Like, even if uh, sometimes, you know, when people joke, like, I'm just joking. And I'm like, that's kind of bullying what you're saying. That's not funny. Or if they say something about themselves and, you know, they're maybe just joking. Well, you know, your brain doesn't know the difference between a joke and what's true. They're going to take everything that you say or think is true. And that's, I think, the part that we have to really be mindful of is, um, you know, let's, let's treat other people, let's treat ourselves well, and let's, let's talk in a positive way because that, or pick out the things that are working instead of like focusing on the negative. Cause as we do that, that moves us forward, you know? Yes. Actually, again, DBT being a behavior therapy, uh-huh. uh, is what actually does in, encourage change is what you were just saying mm-hmm. is reinforcement or in some way, letting someone know you appreciate what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Things that feel good mm-hmm. actually are what, um, what encourages change mm-hmm. pointing out what people do wrong. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's neat. Sometimes we need to, yeah, we got to right? have the honest conversations and so on. Um, and it actually isn't the thing that's most powerful for teaching new behavior. Mm-hmm. What's the most powerful thing for teaching new behavior is like when the person starts to do that behavior that you like, mm-hmm. that you reward them in some way, whether it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be like a treat or dinner out. It's just, mm-hmm. thank you. Oh, I so appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Or, or just a smile or a, a touch or anything that yeah. that person then experiences as good, as mm-hmm. pleasant, as affirmation yeah. and validation that what they're doing mm-hmm. is making a difference. You know, I was just thinking I mean, I love it when people do that with me and, and I feel good when I do that with other people. But when we we have to have a difficult conversation about something that we don't like or, or something that needs to be solved or improved, that's the part where people kind of trip up. And sometimes just the fear of their reaction um, makes it so that it's never discussed. And then it just gets so big, then all of a sudden there's a blow up. Right. So try to be mindful about how to present it to that person in a way where it's like, you know, I care about our relationship. I care about you. I care about, you know, 
how we get along, you know, I've noticed this and this is how it makes me feel. And I know that you don't intend for that. I would think you don't intend for me, you know, but this is how it makes me feel. And let's talk about this. I mean, maybe that's that's a way to approach it. Absolutely. And what you just modeled uh-huh. was um, very skillful. <laughs> and, and, and again, why I love interpersonal effectiveness so much is you were you were you were interweaving all three okay. of those the objective effectiveness. Like uh-huh. We need to talk. Yeah. The relationship effectiveness. I so appreciate our relationship and I care about you so much. Mm-hmm. And self-respect effectiveness, which is you're behaving in a way that you feel good about mm-hmm. as you're speaking to me. Mm. Okay. Right. And, and in, in, the, in DBT, we have mnemonic devices for each of those. Mm-hmm. And we have maps. Yeah. That, that, that those reflect and help people learn mm-hmm. how to practice doing just what you did. Okay. And, then, and how to actually do a little um, script for themselves just to help them get get it clear in their brain even. Yeah. Because otherwise we have all this jumble going on, like what we're upset about and uh-huh. how our history has been like that all forever and how it all gets, as you were describing, especially if we've been triggered in some way. Right. It all gets mushed together. Uh-huh. So if we're trying to do something that relates to a relationship, mm-hmm. those skills and stepping back far enough mindfully to mm-hmm. notice that you're in this chaotic experience Mm -hmm. and then figure out how to most effectively approach that person or whatever Mm -hmm. involves all the skills of db and particularly those interpersonal effectiveness skills the other thing the last thing i wanted to mention is you talk about group therapy and sometimes when we go through things with other people that are going through the same things it really helps to validate how we're feeling and it also kind of helps us if we're trying something new like dbt to kind of share the experiences um, as we're going through it, you know, including things that didn't work out. It makes us feel a little bit more human, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, I the same thing happened with me, you know, because I do really encourage, um, you know, things like support groups or, you know, doing something with someone else. I mean, oftentimes the whole journey of getting better is your own journey, and yourself deciding, I want to get better and making that step. But it's also good to have other people around you that are encouraging and supporting you and have an understanding of what's going on. Yes. And in and, and DBT, the, the group therapy is what we call a psychoeducational. So the, mm-hmm. the point is to teach the skills of DBT. And why we love doing it in group is for the reasons you were just mentioning is that as, as you're learning a particular set of skills, everybody shares about how they're applying those skills in their lives. How group supplies other members who have their own versions of similar or different experiences to you, but they're also there to learn the skills and to share how it, and to, to get ever build ever more muscle, become ever more fluent in them. Mm-hmm. And people are at different levels too. They've, they've been doing it for longer or shorter periods of time. So then they can inspire hope for each other. Mm-hmm. So absolutely a group setting is so powerful. So that concludes our episode. Uh, if you'd like to know more about Karen Clark, uh, be sure to visit her website at karenclark.com. That's K-E-R-E-N-C-L-A-R-K.com. And if you'd like to know more about Fred Armisen, visit his website at fredarmisen.com. Uh, he's got some really cool uh, like 
old student films that he created uh, way back in the day, and also um, Thunder Ant, which he created with Carrie Brownstein before Portlandia, and some just some really cool stuff. So um, until next time, be brave, ask for help, and be persistent in finding the mental help that you need. Check Your Head is kindly supported by DBSA San Gabriel Valley, Lemon Tree Studios in Los Angeles, Blue Oak Podcasting, and other kind donors and sponsors. Visit CheckYourHeadPodcast.com where you'll find more resources for mental help, subscribe $2 to our podcast on our Patreon page, and be our friends on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check Your Head Podcast is a 501c3 sponsored nonprofit with all donations being tax deductible. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you.